Well, good morning. You can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are in the section of 1 Corinthians speaking about spiritual gifts. And I was thinking about something this week that I believe is a profound encouragement um, to all of us and also will humble us at the same time. I was thinking back to Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus and the disciples are at Caesarea Philippi, possibly in front of the temple to Pan, the, 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 the deity there. I don't know where he was exactly. And he looked at the disciples and he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember that? Well, you remember that we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the all-powerful God. And so he could choose to build his church by just a word, without any other help, right? He could sustain the church without any other outside help or any outside means, but he didn't do that, did he? Instead... Christ chose to use instruments, human instruments, fallible, fickle, fumbling, imperfect. Did I I catch everybody here? (laughs) He chose to use those kind of human instruments. He chose to use his sheep to build his church through, they're the instruments. He's doing it through instruments. The proclamation of the gospel, the maintaining of church through the way that we interact with one another and bring the word into each other's life. And why, how does he do all this? Well, when we become believers, the Holy Spirit endows us with spiritual gifts. So Christ is building his church through means of the Holy Spirit gifting believers to do the ministry. And so these These spiritual gifts, these abilities, are given to us supernaturally by the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And the purpose we're going to see today is what Paul says is the common good. And so I just want to say, before we read the scripture, beloved, you are vital to this assembly. Think about how profound that is. Everyone is vital to the growth of this church. Does that not put you in awe of the Lord's ways? I mean, I don't know how you are, but if I want a job well done, uh, you know, sometimes it's really hard to teach children, isn't it? Because it takes three times as long for your child to do something when you're trying to show them something than if you do it yourself. And so uh, that's, that's the way it is, but God's not that way. And why is he not that way? Well, think about this. If you're like me, you sit back and you start thinking, yeah, I, I could do this, but what if I mess up? Beloved, you can't mess up. Do you know why? Because none of you are perfect. Paul teaches all the way through 1 Corinthians that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Now, that's not an excuse for just being half-hearted about stuff, but what it means is, Even our best effort, the best that we could possibly do. If I stand up here 
And everybody comes up to me afterwards and says, Pastor, you hit a home run. I've never had that happen. I will never have that happen. But if they did, that, that sermon would be weakness because of God's awesome power. And so you are endowed with a gift from the Holy Spirit that he intentionally implanted into you to minister to the body of Jesus Christ, and you cannot mess up. Isn't that wonderful to know? Well, let's stand and we'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11 uh, together. And beginning in verse number 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Isn't that great? It's the same God that empowers your gift and my gift. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another by the same Spirit, um, faith, I'm sorry, to the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between miracles, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Did you notice the profound emphasis on God and his Holy Spirit all the way through this? That's really the emphasis, not the gifts. Let me say one more thing before we pray. The, all the spiritual gift tests. I mean, if you want to go back 20 years ago and take all those tests that used to come out, um, I'll say this about the lists. These lists are not to mean, okay, I've got that one checked, that one checked. It's, it's more of, here are some of the things that the Holy Spirit allows people to do, empowers people to do. It's not, this is not a hardened list because if you look at some of the others, they're different. And so we, we must understand that. Well, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that you build your church by the Word of God, but you do it through human instruments empowered by the Holy Spirit who has gifted them. Lord, this is so exciting to think and, and to um, meditate upon. And I pray that this message will be an encouragement to all of us to serve his church. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. If you remember last week, I said that spiritual gifts are not talents. Uh, they're not Natural talents and skills and abilities are granted by God, just as everything good and worthwhile is a gift from Him. But these talents and abilities and skills are given to unbelievers uh, just as well as believers. Talents and gifts and skills like that. Um, an atheist or an agnostic can be a great scientist or a carpenter, an athlete, or a cook, or any of that, any of these skill sets. And if a Christian excels at such abilities, it has nothing to do with his salvation. Though he may use his natural talents quite uh, well and, um, and, and quite differently after he is saved, he possessed them before he became a Christian. Spiritual gifts come only as a result of salvation. I, I think of the, the, the guys doing the sound booth. And they're using their, their abilities and gifts, or, or I should say their abilities and skills 
for the good of the church, aren't they? They're serving the body. We have a security team now. Um, they're using their skills and abilities to serve the body. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's their spiritual gift. It means they're using their skill. Spiritual gifts are endowed by us, super, by the Holy Spirit to us, supernaturally given, and only and always to believers in Jesus Christ without exception. Spiritual gifts are special capacities bestowed upon believers to equip them to minister supernaturally to others, especially to one another. We have all those one another's. Uh, I was in a Bible lesson the other day, and I can't remember who said it. I can't remember what Bible lesson. Somebody said there are um, 59 or 60 one another's. I think it was Mike. Did Mike say that in one of the meetings? Mike Webb, I think it was. In, those, in these verses that we're looking at today, Paul teaches that spiritual gifts are focused on service. These are serving gifts. Even if you're speaking, you're serving gifts. That's Paul's exact point in verse number seven. Look at the verse number seven with me. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For yourself? For your own edification? No, for the common good. And I want, you to point, I want to point out something else. The manifestation of the Spirit. So you, using your spiritual gift to build the body is a manifestation. That means it's a showing out of the Holy Spirit in your life. So why are gifts given? Gifts are given that I might be a blessing to you and you might be a blessing to me. I, I, the, every year in ministry, I become more amazed at the way God stitches the body together. You pretty much know what my spiritual gift is, right? Or um, actually, you could be up there and say, well, he's speaking, but I'm not sure what his spiritual gift is, right? I understand that. Touche. But, but the way that people minister, some of you, I, I'll run into a situation and it's just like, it's, it's an innate, natural ability that you think X, and I'm like, wow, I would never have thought of that. And it's a gifting of the Holy Spirit, and God gifts us to minister to one another. It's just an amazing thing. And so, there are no spiritual gifts, none, that are all about you. That, that are just for you. Spiritual gifts aren't about you. They're not about me. They're about others. The, spiritual, the purpose of spiritual gifts is that we might be a blessing in service to the body. And so we'll notice as we walk through here something that is uh, fascinating, and that is that there is unity and diversity and diversity and unity. And that's Paul's concern in this passage that we read. He's going to use the second half of this chapter uh, that we haven't gotten to, uh, verses 12 and following, the famous metaphor of the body, the body having different parts, hands, feet, eyes, ears, nose, and so on. And yet, um, yet the body is one. And we are so diverse with different gifts and functions and ministries and roles in the church, and yet we're to be one. And, and um, we are one in Christ. We have the same message. And Paul's going to teach the same message in verses 
4 to 11, but he's going to use a different image to teach that same message. And a lot of people will miss this. So you have the body image of the second half. But in, in verses 4 to 6, he's not going to point us um, to the unity and diversity of the body, but he's going to point us to the unity and diversity of the triune God. Look at verses 4 to 6 with me. You see that? Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, let me say a word about this. This is not meant to say, okay, well, well, it's God who empowers, and it's the Spirit who, who gives a gift of service. It's not, he's not dividing it like that, but what he's saying is the whole trinity is involved in the whole package. Different gifts, different service, ministries, different activities, we are all engaged in, they are sourced in the Holy Spirit, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in God the Father Almighty. And so here we have the three-in-one, the triune God of Holy Scripture, who acts unitedly in giving the gifts to the whole church. Unity and diversity. Now keep in mind, and then look at verses 7 to 11, and notice that almost every single verse, as Paul goes through this list of spiritual gifts, he says the gifts are sourced. And they come not this time from the triune God, the tri- but all, all three persons, but from the Spirit. Look at verse number 8. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, working of miracles, and so on. All these, verse number 11, are empowered by one and the same Spirit. And so in verses 4 to 6, Paul says the Trinity, all three persons, bestows spiritual gifts on the church, but then he says the one who gives the gifts in verses 7 to 11 is the Holy Spirit. Is Paul confused? (laughs) Not usually, is he? All right. Is he contradicting himself? He's actually teaching something that's very, very important about the doctrine of God. And I want you to hang in here for about a minute with me as we dive into the Trinity, okay? Um, this is important. I want to I show you why this really matters. You see, there's a temptation, I think, that in certain points of doctrine, that particularly the doctrine of the Trinity, that we th- begin to think that it's fundamentally irrelevant. And what I mean by that is, you know, we believe it because we're supposed to believe it, but who knows what it's all about? I mean, you think about the Trinity. Can anybody here explain the Trinity? Anybody here perfectly understand it? Nobody does, right? Nobody does. And so, um, so yes, the Trinity. And then we sort of shrug and move on to things that we care more about. And what Paul wants us to understand is that all points of truth in the Encyclopedia of Christian Doctrine, if you want to use that term, the doctrine of the Trinity is the most practical, the most relevant, not the least practical, and least relevant. How do we arrive there? Well, let me show you why. Verses 4 to 6, 
he says all three persons of the Godhead bestow gifts upon the church. Verses 7 to 11, he says, it's the Spirit particularly who gives these gifts to the church. Paul is not contradicting himself. He's teaching a principle that all the operations of the triune God um, toward the church and towards his creatures are indivisible. So that any work performed in Scripture by one person is simultaneously the work of all three. You see? And sometimes the work of all three persons is assigned to one in particular. You know, he's, he's one in essence and three persons. We'll never understand that. We, we are not to understand that when one is mentioned that the others are excluded. All the works of God done are done by all that God is all the time. So sometimes think about it. We do this. I've done this. We speak about the Father who's the one who creates God the Son as the Redeemer and God the Holy Spirit as our sanctifier. That's pretty common, isn't it? Well, that's perfectly biblical language and useful language so long as we understand that whenever we say that, we're not designed that God the Son is a creator and sanctifier. That the Spirit is the creator and sanctifier. And that the Father is the redeemer and sanctifier. All the works of God are performed by all three persons of God in, uh, indivisibly, and yet in such a way that the distinctness of each person is preserved and upheld in a beautiful and profound mystery, the unity of one in the three and three in one. Are you completely confused? Okay. <laughs> now, why does that matter? Why did I just take this little bit of time to go through the doctrine of Trinity by which we have a hard time understanding? It matters you haven't fallen asleep yet, have you? It matters because if the God who gives gifts for Christian service is diverse and yet one, that is he's a three in one, that there's in God both unity and harmony, well then, how can we been, have, who have been given gifts by the same God, use those gifts for ourself and self-promotion and self-glory to the exclusion of others. You see? If the church is to be the mirror of the unity and diversity of the God who has redeemed us, then by the way that we use our gifts for service will promote our unity in our diversity. We're one church. And so I guess a good illustration is that we're one church. And when uh, a group from our church or an individual from our church is evangelizing, it's as, as if our church is evangelizing. And when a person from our church is uh, comforting somebody who's sorrowing, it's as if the whole church is comforting that person. You see? That's the unity and diversity. 
It will bring us together rather than single individuals out for particular attention or praise. It will cement our relationships as we serve one another according to the pattern of the Lord Jesus, who came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's, it's so important. The doctrine of the Trinity is not obscure or irrelevant, but it's profoundly practical. The God who redeemed us is one in three. He is profoundly united in all his works, and in himself he is one. And yet he is gloriously three. Marvelously diverse. And the church is to bear the imprint and the mirror of that unity and diversity of the God who has saved us. And so if you want to learn humility, rather than promote yourself, then Paul invites us to the edge of the abyss and peer into the mystery of the Trinity, the unfathomable depths of that doctrine of God, and learn how small we really are. And then bow down and worship and rise up and serve for the glory of his great name. That's what it's all about. That's the Trinity. And yet we make it so much of an academic exercise, don't we? And we don't think about the practical implications of it. So to sum up, I'm going to just kind of something that is, is endemic to pastoral ministry, and that is this. People think that if the pastor doesn't do it, it didn't get done. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if somebody is, is sorrowing and somebody else goes to have prayer for them, but the pastor doesn't make it over, then they're upset with the pastor. Yet, if you understand the doctrine of the Trinity, the body was doing what the body was supposed to do, Right? Now, do I go pray with people? Oh, I most certainly do. Do I make it to everybody? It's impossible to make it to everybody. And that is why you minister the way you can to other people in the body of Christ. And then it's as if the whole body is ministering through you. It's an amazing, marvelous, wonderful truth if we can grasp it. Well, what I want to do is go through these spiritual gifts um, they're kind of, if you want to use the term, itemized for us. Let's just read this one more time, beginning in verse number 8. For to one is given through the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now when you look at this list of spiritual gifts and really think about it, you can see there's really two main categories, right? Um, There are two major purposes. There are the permanent gifts that edify the church, and there are temporary gifts that are signs to confirm the word of God and will continue to give, um, God will continue to give permanent gifts to believers for the duration of church age. And those gifts are to be ministered by his people at all times. But the purpose of temporary sign gifts was to authenticate the message of the apostles as the word of God until the time that the scriptures were completed. 
And now that they're completed, they're self-authenticating. Understand what I mean? There were sign gifts, and we'll get into them, that authenticated the message of the apostles. Once the canon was closed, the book of Revelation was written, there's no need to authenticate Scripture. It authenticates itself. That's the way that works. So what are they? Now, let me say this in the front end. As I work through these, there are, there's a ton of debate about each one of these. There's more debate about some than others. I'm going to give you the gifts as I see them, as I best understand them. Uh, you may want to argue with me. Um, I'll probably just listen and shake my head and say, okay, and walk on because there's a lot of difference of opinion about the spiritual gifts. But here we go. You ready? Number one, wisdom. Wisdom. In the New Testament, wisdom is most often used to refer to the ability to understand God's will and to apply it obediently. Wisdom then refers basically to applying truths discovered, the ability to make skillful and practical application of truth to life situations. Now we are to all have wisdom, aren't we? We are to Christ is personified as wisdom, but there are individuals in the church gifted by the church to really be able to apply spiritual insight in wise ways as the church functions. And, and that's the gift of wisdom, practical application of truth in, um, in divine situations. And it can be anybody. You, you know what I'm talking about. There are certain saints that just seem, after maybe a short season of prayer, they just seem to know how to apply Scripture properly. You've seen it before, I'm quite certain. Number two, knowledge. Knowledge is a, is a really broad term, which basically refers to perceiving and understanding truths of God's Word. Okay, God gives certain of His saints a special ability to study His Word, and to discover the full meaning of the text in context, and, and understand the individual words and phrases, and of related passages and truths, and thereby help provide understanding for others. This gift of knowledge is not some supernatural knowledge that they go, mm, and then they come up with something. It's an application of Scripture. It's understanding what the, the, the Scriptures are saying. And so a Christian with the gift of knowledge could be somebody who's highly trained in biblical languages, history, archaeology, um, theology, and all that. And God can use that training in the working of his gift. But another person with the gift of knowledge may have almost no formal education. In either case, the ability to comprehend spiritual truth is God-given. And I've seen both multiple times and I know you have too, haven't you? There are people who just understand God's word, and they may not have formal theological training. I remember one. Her name was Melba. Melba uh, was a dear saint who just had an understanding of God's word like, uh, like people I've never seen before. And um, when I was a young youth pastor in Memphis, we would occasionally use Melba in the youth group. Now, I was in my 30s. That was a long time ago, right? I was in my 30s, and Melba 
was one of the favorites of the teenagers, and Melba was in a right around 70 at that time. But her love for the kids and her knowledge of Scripture was infectious. No formal training. She just knew Scripture, right? So, so the gifted person is supernaturally enabled not only to discover truths from the facts of Scripture, but to explain and interpret those truths in order to help others understand them. As all the other gifts, it comes in many forms and many degrees. And this is what we need to understand. Uh, Understand that some of us will have a really great ability in one area alone, while others may have moderate abilities across several spiritual capabilities. We, we have to understand that too. So there's diversity of degrees of that too. Well, let me go on. Number three is faith. This category giftedness is limited to certain Christians and has to do with a serious ability to trust God in difficult and demanding ways. Now, what do I mean by that? It's the ability to trust God in the face of overwhelming obstacles and impossibilities. The gift of faith is primarily expressed toward God through prayer, appealing to and trusting God to do that which is beyond, and this is the important part, beyond his normal provision. Those with the gift of faith have a special ability to lay claim on the promises of God according to his own plan and will, and faith activates God. One person I think of with this, and I wish everybody could sit down and listen to it, but it wouldn't mean as much to you as it does to me. I, I went to seminary at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. That was where I, I got my Master of Divinity. That seminary uh, started out in Arkansas, ended up in Memphis, Tennessee, and it was founded by a guy named Gray Allison. And Gray Allison, at the beginning of every academic year, we would have a, a revival, and one night he would tell the story of Mid-America. Now, uh, uh, Master Divinity is a 96-degree-hour degree there, and it took me five whole years to get a three-year degree. You understand that, right? So I heard that story five times and never got tired of hearing that story because Gray Allison was gifted with the gift of faith. The, there were times when they had a massive amount of money due. There were times when they needed a facility. And he would tell people, God, like they would need something within a week. We need a facility. And he'd say, God's going to provide it. And some guy would just call him on the phone and say, hey, I, I don't know why I, I'm thinking of you, but I have this you know, this building over here, synagogue actually was what it was, a synagogue was the first uh, seminary there. This synagogue that we can't get rid of, do you want it? You know, million something dollar facility at that time. Another time they had a note due and it was, it was, a, it was a bundle of money. I can't remember exactly how much it was. It was either hundreds of thousands or close to a million dollars. They're literally the day it was due and people are saying, well, we're going to have to close down the school. And he said, no, God's going to provide that day. The money came in from, from one guy just called out of the blue. He said, I've been trying to get a hold of you for weeks. And I was just able to get a hold of you today. 
That's the gift of faith. Um, think of somebody like um, others throughout th- so, through history, um, Hudson Taylor. You, you familiar with Hudson Taylor, the missionary who believed that God would win many Chinese converts through him, and he went to China without money, support, refusing to ask for a penny of help or support. How about George Mueller? Are you familiar with him? The orphanage. He prayed in every cent um, that came in, trusting God. I remember the story, and I know many of you heard that. They didn't have breakfast, and all the orphans were sitting at the table. Anybody heard this story? All the orphans sitting at the table. And he said, okay, we're going to pray for the food. And they said, there's no food. And he said, God's going to provide. And they prayed, and in the middle of the prayer, there was a knock on the door. And the man, the milkman's cart broke down right in front of the orphanage. And the, that was provided. And something else was provided almost immediately. These are the people with the gift of faith. And so on the basis of one person's strong faith, others are helped and served. And through the history of church, thousands of saints with gifts of faith have believed God in the face of great danger, death, exercising their faith, and have strengthened the faith of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in the Lord. And it's a wonderful gift. And not very many people have that one, do they? Well, let's move on. Healing. Healing. Verse number nine. I want you to notice the language. Okay, so we've had singular. Now all of a sudden we have gifts of healing, plural. The gifts of healing were the first temporary sign gifts that Paul mentions in this passage. And since all these gifts were in operation then, the sign gifts were not placed in a separate category. Now let me, let me stop here and explain what you see in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians was written very early in the history of the church. As you move through the history of the church, you see less and less mention of the sign gifts until ultimately there is no mention of the sign gifts. You didn't need to have them. And so um, all these gifts at the time of 1 Corinthians were in function. Now God may, let me say this, God may still heal directly and miraculously today in response to the faithful prayers of his children. Okay? But no Christian, I believe, today has the gifts of healing. Now, how is this apparent? This is apparent because no one today can heal as Jesus and the apostles who, with a word or a touch, instantaneously and totally healed all they came in contact with and they even raised the dead. Nobody today has that like the apostles did or like Jesus did. A Christian today, by the way, has the right to ask God for healing of any illness. And I I have friends who have been healed miraculously. Um, I just heard a story of um, a baby who had a hole in his heart. They went, and I don't remember who told me the story, just this week, and maybe one of you told me the story, that the, the baby needed surgery. They lined up the surgery. Uh, they'd been to, uh, I think it was in Chicago, I can't remember where the hospital was, went home, three days later went back, and they did one more test, and they said, you can go home, your baby has no hole in their heart, okay? So that's, that's what God can and does do today 
but no person has the gift of healing. He does this for his glory, but he's under no obligation to heal because he's made no blanket promise to heal during any age. He's no longer authenticating his word because the completed word is its own verification. Same thing with miracles. Miracles was a temporary sign gift. A miracle is a supernatural intrusion into the natural world and its natural laws explainable only by divine intervention. A miracle is an act of God that is contrary to the ordinary working of the laws of nature. An act that could only be accomplished by overruling nature and could not otherwise occur through any circumstances. Now, let me say this. What modern faith healers call miracles appear to have very little to do with what goes on in the New Testament. Jesus and the apostles perform miracles in public and in the presence of unbelievers to confirm the truth of the gospel. Okay? Prophecy. Now, this is a long-debated gift, and there's two ways that you can go on to get the prophecy. Let me give you how I understand it. The way I understand it, I believe that the gift of prophecy is a permanent and edifying gift, and it has nothing to do with telling the future. The Greek word behind prophecy means to proclaim. That's what the Greek word means. It assumes the speaker is before an audience and, could, and it could mean to speak publicly. The gift of prophecy then is spirit-given and spirit-empowered ability to proclaim the word effectively. And since the completion of Scripture, prophecy has no longer been the means of new revelation, but only to proclaim what is in Scripture. If you look back at the prophets, most of what the prophets say are interpreting the Word of God. You tell, I just finished Jeremiah this week. Jeremiah says, you know, look, this is what Scripture says. This is what's going to happen. Moses said, God said this, and they're just interpreting Scripture and saying, according to Scripture, you're acting this way. This is going to happen. Now, how does it look in, in real life? Well, you can have two parents, one with the gift of prophecy, one with the gift of mercy. You tell the child, don't play with that, you're going to get hurt. Don't play with that, you're going to get hurt. The child keeps ignoring the parent, gets hurt. The one with the gift of prophecy looks at the child and says what? I told you so. The one with mercy does what? Oh, come here. All right. It's just, it's just um, that's the best way I know to describe what the prophetic gift would look like today. Remember, whatever, distinguishing of spirits. The basic meaning of distinguishing has to do with separating out for examination or judging. And so it's, it's judging in order to determine what is genuine and what is spurious or uh, fake or counterfeit. Satan is the great deceiver, isn't he? He's the father of lies, and that's why all the time in Scripture they talk about many antichrists will come. Counterfeits. Ever since the fall, he and his demons have counterfeited God's message and God's word. Those to whom God has given the gift of discernment have special ability to recognize lying spirits. And this gift is the spirit's watchdog. 
some ideas are, that are given as scriptural and on the surface seem scripturally um, or seem scriptural actually are clever counterfeits and would deceive most believers. Those with the gift of discernment are the Holy Spirit's inspectors. And so um, God gifts the church with people that can say, you know what, this sounds really good, but this is a counterfeit, and let me show you how and why. Okay? And what I found about this gift is that this is the one that really ticks people off. Because people in our fallen state naturally tend to draw towards false teachers. And what do false teachers always promise? Wonderful things. We could say health, wealth, and prosperity. They make you feel good about yourself and, and all this. And then here comes the person with the gift of distinguishing spirits and says, you know, this person is not teaching the true gospel. What do you mean? They make me feel so good. They uplift me and blah, 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 blah. And that, so somebody with the distinguishing spirit, if you're that person, I feel for you because you have a hard road, right? But the gift of discernment is especially value, valuable when the church and the gospel are considered acceptable in society. Did you know that when Christianity is persecuted, counterfeit teachers are usually pretty scarce? <laughs> because the price for being identified with the gospel is too high. You don't find that many counterfeit gospels in a nation where Christianity is, is persecuted. We got a lot, America imports a lot of it, or exports, I'm sorry, exports a lot of it. All right, let me give you one more. Tongues. How do you like that definition? Will be discussed later. This is the most controversial spiritual gift in our day, speaking of tongues, and because this gift and the interpretation of tongues will be discussed in detail in 1 Corinthians 14, I will only mention here that these are temporary sign gifts and are not genuinely active in the church today. And chapter 14 is all about tongues. And so we'll address that when we get there, okay? So that's the list. I want to read verse number 11. Look at verse number 11 with me. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions, divvies them out to each one individually, as he wills. Now, I want you to think about something. One of the ways that we can think about this is the parable of the talents. Now, the parable of the talents is about responsibility. It's not about, like, how gifted you are. It's about responsibility. But the master in that parable did what? He gave one, five, one, three, one, one. And that's what he does with the spiritual gifts. He gives somebody extreme gifts, somebody just kind of average over a few of them, and it's varied, and he just gives it how he wills, and how he wills is especially perfect for each body in the Lord Jesus Christ and the body corporate. So um, since these diverse gifts come from the same source, they should have the same effect to build up the body of Jesus Christ in which the Holy Spirit dwells. So you might have this question. If these gifts of the Spirit are still given to Christ's people today, how do I know which gifts I have? You ever ask that question? 
Take the inventory. No, I'm just kidding. Don't take the inventory. Uh, I've taken all kinds of inventories. Let me give you an idea. I would ask this simple question. What do you like doing? What is, what is your default when something happens? That most likely is, is pushing you towards your spiritual gift. So I have a question for you. Are you serving Christ Church? One of the things that has uh, occurrences that has been noted across the nation in every church is that since coronavirus, people aren't serving a church like they were. I don't know, the, there, I think one of the issues going on is, I think back to the month of April and May when I was getting up and watching church in my pajamas on Sunday morning. I mean, it was painful to watch myself on TV, I, I understand that. But it was a lot of fun. We got up every Sunday morning. Jeffrey eats a ton, so I would fix a ton of French toast and eggs and stuff. And we'd eat a stack of French toast and, and a lot of eggs, fill our stomachs, then sit down. Uh, usually hadn't had a shower or anything like that and watch church. And that's a lot of fun, isn't it? But that's not what God called us to do. God called us to serve. And so it may be that God is pushing us through this message, get busy. It's, it's nice to take a break, and it was nice taking a break, but that's not what God made us to do. God made us to serve him so that one day he will say, well done, good and faithful service. servant. Are you serving the church? Lord, I thank you for the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the gifting that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that we will seriously consider the spiritual gifts, seriously consider what is being said today, that we will uh, make a conscious decision that you, because of the way the Trinity in all its glory uh, serves, that we need to serve as well. And Lord, I pray that you'll be honored and glorified and by our serving, that we'll be in awe of you as well. In Christ's name, amen.